and discuss this further, I'm more than willing to do that. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Hugh Merriman. Question number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you. Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm sure members will want to join me in wishing people across the UK and around the world a happy St Patrick's Day this coming Friday. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. You Merriman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. With my Irish blood, can I also wish a happy St Patrick's Day? Uh, Mr Speaker, I welcome the announcement from this Government that we will abide by the letter of our manifesto and also the spirit. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister agree with me that as we move towards balancing the books, we must ensure we have a fair and sustainable tax system in place? Prime Minister! Well, I'd like to thank my honourable friend for this question. We made a commitment not to raise tax, and we put our commitment into the tax lock. And the measures we put forward in the budget last week were consistent with those locks. As a number number of my parliamentary colleagues have been pointing out in recent days, there is... Order! This is intolerable. The answer is from the Prime Minister. I take no view on the matter. I do take a view on the importance of hearing the questions and the answers, the Prime Minister. As a number of my parliamentary colleagues have been pointing out in recent days, the trend towards greater self-employment does create a structural issue in the tax base on which we will have to act. Uh, And we want to ensure that we maintain, as they have said, fairness in the tax system. So we are going to uh, await the report from Matthew Taylor on the future of employment. We will consider the Government's overall approach to employment status and rights to tax and entitlements. We will bring forward further proposals, but we will not bring forward increases to NICs later in this Parliament. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. First of all, can I wish everyone a very happy St Patrick's Day for the 17th in my constituency, in Ireland and all around the world. Uh, Mr Speaker, we've just heard the Prime Minister is about to drop the national insurance hike announced only a week ago. Seems to me like a government in a bit of chaos in here. in seven days, a Conservative manifesto with a very pensive Prime Minister on the front page saying there would be no increase. A week ago, an increase was announced. If they are to drop this uh, increase, as they're indicating, then this is a time that she should thank the Federation of Small Businesses and all those that have pointed out just how unfair this increase would be, but also how big business evades an awful lot of national insurance through bogus self-employment. Prime Minister! 
I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, I don't think he actually listened to the answer I gave to my honourable friend, the member for Bexhill and Battle. Uh, but I normally, I normally stand at this dispatch box and say I won't take any lectures from the right honourable gentleman. When it comes to lectures on chaos, he'd be the first person I'd turn to. Mr Speaker, I, do, I, think, I think the Prime Minister should offer an apology for the chaos that her government has caused during the past week and the stress it's caused to the 4.8 million self-employed people in this country. Will she offer that apology? Her friend, the member for Aberconway, said so a week ago. It's time that she joined in and said that as well. This measure, if uh, carried through, will create a black hole in the budget. What is she going to do to fill that black hole? If the right honourable gentleman is so concerned about balancing the books, why is it Labour Party policy to borrow half a trillion pounds and bankrupt Britain? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, coming, coming from a coming from a government that proposes to borrow more between now and 2020 than the entire borrowing of all Labour governments put together. We don't need lectures from them on this. I hope that in his statement later today, the Chancellor will address the question of injustice of many people forced into bogus self-employment by unscrupulous companies because many of them force their workers to become self-employed, thus avoiding employers' national insurance contributions. It is a grossly unfair system where those in self-employment pay some national insurance, employers do not benefit from it. That is a gross injustice that has to be addressed. Prime Minister! The Right Honourable Gentleman obviously hadn't noticed that one of the first things I did when I became Prime Minister was to commission Matthew Taylor from the RSA to conduct a review, to look at the employment market, to look at employment rights and status, precisely because we recognise that the employment market is changing. Uh, he talks about the self-employed. Let's look at what we've done for the self-employed. Our increase in personal allowance means they now keep more of their earnings. They'll have access to both tax-free childcare and 30 hours of free childcare, just like employees. And now they have access to the new state pension worth over £1,800 more a year. But what we know from the Labour Party's policies is that their policies would bankrupt Britain, they'd put firms out of business and people out of jobs. We have a government U-turn, we have no apology, and we have a budget that falls most heavily that falls most heavily on those with the least broad shoulders. Cuts to schools, cuts to social care and cuts to people with disabilities. That is the agenda of her government and everybody knows it. I don't think think the right honourable gentleman has quite got the hang of this. He's supposed to ask a question to me when he stands up and says... Let's hear the answer. Prime Minister. 
talks about schools. What have we done? We've protected the core schools budget. We introduced the pupil premium. This budget delivers money for over 100 new schools, delivering on good school places for every child. This budget delivers on skills for young people. We want them to be equipped for the jobs of the future. The budget delivers £500 million for technical education. And on social care, we recognise the pressure on social care. This budget delivers £2 billion more funding for social care, funding that wouldn't be available with Labour's economic policies. Mr Speaker, it would be a very good idea if the Prime Minister listened to head teachers all over the country, desperately trying to work out how to balance the books in their schools, losing teachers, losing teaching assistants, losing support for their children, because the schools' budgets are being cut. She knows that. We all know that. Everybody out there knows that. They also know that, according to IFS figures, average working families will be £1,400 worse off as a result of her budget that's been produced last week. Can she say what she's doing to help the worst off and poorest in our society, rather than continuing cutting local government expenditure, schools expenditure and underfunding social care? I'll tell the right Honourable Minister what we've delivered for low paid. We've uh, frozen VAT, we've frozen fuel duty, and every basic rate taxpayer has had a tax cut of worth £1,000. And we've taken over 3 million people out of paying tax, income tax altogether. That's what we've done for the low paid. On schools, we now see 1.8 million more children in good or outstanding schools. I want a good school place for every child. We've done it with three schools and academies uh, and the changes we've brought forward in education, all opposed by the Labour Party. Now they want to oppose us giving a good school place for every child. And what do we know about the Labour Party's policies? Well, let's just see what the former Shadow Chancellor, the member for Nottingham East, said. Labour's policies would mean doubling national insurance, doubling VAT and doubling council tax as well. That wouldn't help the low-paid or ordinary working families. Mr Speaker, the difference is we want a good school and a good place for every child in every school in every community. Selective education, reintroduction of grammar schools does not achieve that. We want a staircase for all, not a ladder for the few, which is what the Conservative policies actually are. What she hasn't addressed also is the unfairness of a budget that cuts tax at the top end, continues to reduce corporation tax, encourages bogus self-employment. What she has to do is address the issues of injustice and inequality in our society and a government that's dedicated towards widening the gap, not helping the hard up or those that are working self-employed to try and make ends meet and not getting access to any benefits at the same time. Prime Minister. Inequality has gone down under this government. This budget shows that the top 1% of earners will actually be contributing 27% in terms of the uh, uh, income that they're providing. But let me, let me address the issue also of schools. 
You see, the problem with what the right honourable gentleman says is that on every single education policy that this government has brought forward that has been delivering more good school places for children, the Labour Party has opposed it and they continue to oppose it because the Labour Party's approach is that parents shall take what they're given, good or bad. We, we believe in listening to parents. And is he, if, he looks, if he looks ahead to what his policies would produce for this country, half a trillion pounds of borrowing, 500 billion pounds more borrowing under the Labour Party, more taxes, more spending, more borrowing, a bankrupt Britain that wouldn't give money for public services, it wouldn't help ordinary working families. It's the Conservative Party that is helping ordinary working families. It's the Labour Party that is failing to address the needs of the people of this country. He's just sitting there and going on protest marches. Jeremy Quinn! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As the facts change, I change my question. May I congratulate... <laughs> may I congratulate my right honourable friend on proposing the most radical reform of... the most radical reform of technical education... Still do this. The most radical reform of technical education in a generation. And also, and also, delivering fair funding for all our schools. But may I ask her, as part of that consultation, to ensure a minimum level of appropriate funding for all schools. Thank you. Prime Minister! I, I, I thank my honourable friend because he's raised an important point. It's one of the issues that we've addressed in the budget is to put more money into skills training, into uh, further education, that technical education for young people. I think that's one of the most important things we can do is to equip young people for their futures, for the jobs of the future, so they can get on in life. Uh, we're investing an extra half billion pounds, as I said earlier, uh, a year in England's uh, technical education system to do this. My honourable friend has referred to the issue of a minimum funding level. Um, my right honourable friend, the Education Secretary, confirmed last month that the DfE have heard representations on this issue. They are considering these, these issues, but in relation to the funding formula, it is a complex issue. It's been an issue that's been uh, needed addressing for some time, and we will be looking at it carefully. Angus Robertson. We once had a Prime Minister who said that the lady's not for turning. My goodness. Isn't it welcome that the Prime Minister today has admitted she is for turning with her screeching, embarrassing U-turn on national yeah. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, only days, only days remain until the Prime Minister is going to invoke Article 50 on leaving the European Union. And last July, she promised to secure a UK-wide approach, an agreement between the devolved administrations of Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and the UK Government before triggering Article 50. So when will the Prime Minister announce the details of the agreement? Prime Minister! I uh, said to the Right Honourable Gentleman yesterday and to others uh, asking me questions on the timetable yesterday, we will trigger Article 50 by the end of March. There, there will be uh, an opportunity for further discussions with the devolved administrations over that period. But when the Right Honourable Gentleman looks at the issue of membership of the European Union and his view of uh, Scotland not being a member of the United Kingdom, I say this to him. He is comparing membership of an organisation that we've been a member of for 40 years with our country. 
We have been one country for three, over 300 years. We have fought together, we've worked together, we've achieved together. And, and constitutional game-playing must not be allowed to break the deep bonds of our shared history and our future together. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister can wag her finger as much as she likes. Last year she made a promise. She promised an agreement. I asked her about it yesterday. She didn't answer. I asked her about it now. She hasn't answered. When will she reach an agreement, not discussions, an agreement with the Scottish Government before triggering Article 50? I recognise the passions. Mr Wishart, calm yourself, man. I'm perfectly capable of doing that without your beneficent assistance. The right honourable gentleman will be heard however long it takes. The right honourable gentleman will continue. Yes, he will, however long it takes. Carry on, Mr Robertson. The Prime Minister promised an agreement. There's not an agreement. When will there be an agreement? Because does she not understand that if she does not secure an agreement before triggering Article 50, if she is not prepared to negotiate on behalf of the Scottish Government and secure membership of the single European market, people in Scotland will have a referendum and we will have our say. Prime Minister! We have been in discussions with the Scottish Government and with the other devolved administrations about the interests that they have as we prepare, as the United Kingdom Government, to negotiate a deal on behalf of the whole of the United Kingdom. A deal which will be a good deal, not just for England, Wales and Northern Ireland, but for the people of Scotland as well. And as we go forward in negotiating that deal, I think the Right Honourable Gentleman should remember this. Scotland will be leaving the European Union. It will leave the European Union either as a member of the United Kingdom or were it independent, it's very clear with the Barroso document, that it would not be a member of the European Union. What we need now is to unite to come together as a country and to ensure that we can get the best deal for the whole of the United Kingdom. Mr Andrew Turner! Mr Speaker, this, this government is working with LEPs, councils and other partners to grow the economy. But despite being in the prosperous southeast, the Isle of Wight is 339th out of 379 in the UK competitive index. Will my right honourable friend ensure that more growth funding is, is targeted at rural areas like the island with many small and micro businesses to deliver a country that works for all? Yeah. Prime Minister. My honourable friend uh, speaks well on behalf of his constituents, and he's right to do that. And I know that he's consistently put forward the unique uh, characteristics of the, uh, of the Isle of Wight. 
and we've already been able to support the island's economy through both the local growth deal for the Solent, that's £183 million, and the Solent LEPs also been supporting the Isle of Wight rural SME programme, and my honourable friend particularly referred to uh, rural funding. I want to make sure that we make the best of the diverse strengths of all Britain's cities, regions and islands, and I'm sure that the, on the island the business community and council will work together to create the best possible conditions for growth and competitiveness in the future. Stephen Doughty. Mr Speaker, it is our two single markets that are the backbone of our economy, and yet the Prime Minister wants to rip us away from one, and they want to break up the other. Can she tell me, is it really a price worth paying the risky and reckless approach she is taking to Brexit to foster the breakup of Britain. Yeah. Prime Minister. The Honourable Gentleman is wrong when he uses the term that I want to rip the United Kingdom away from the single market. What we want to do. Oh, this is. This is. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say to honourable uh, members on the uh, Labour benches, this is the same answer that I have given consistently in this House. We want to ensure that we get a good free trade agreement which gives us the maximum possible access to the single market to enable us to trade with the single market and operate within the single market. Theresa Villiers. Can I welcome the support on business rates which is being given by the budget to local high streets which are so crucially valued in places like my constituency in Barnet and would the Prime Minister agree that we can give more help to small businesses if we secure the international agreement we need to ensure that all big businesses pay their taxes? Minister, This this is a very important issue uh, and it's one on which I think this government has a record on which we can be proud but of course there is more to do. I mean we have since 2010 in the work we've done on tackling tax evasion and avoidance and non-compliance we've secured an additional 140 billion in compliance yield since 2010. Um, Internationally we've driven the global agenda. We've now got 100 countries signed up to the automatic exchange of financial account information and we've pushed G7 and G20 partners to establish registries of beneficial ownership. My right honourable friend is right, there is more to do. And we will continue to be cracking down on big companies not paying their tax. I want to see an economy that works for everyone. Uh, That means that big companies should be paying their tax as well as everybody. Mike Weir. Thank you, Mr Speaker. An answer to my honourable friend from Murray, the Prime Minister called for respect. But that's a two-way street. Where is the respect for your government, for the Scottish Government's compromise proposal, which has just been ignored in these negotiations? The compromise proposal has has not been ignored. It has been discussed by ministers with ministers from the Scottish Government. There are many areas within that proposal on which we agree, as I've said before, such as on uh, ensuring our security from crime and terrorism and maintaining and protecting workers' rights. Will Quinn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Colchester Hospital's A&E department has excellent staff, but suffers from poor layout and patient flow. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the £100 million set aside for triage in the budget last week will enable hospitals like mine to address this issue and improve patient outcomes? Prime Minister. Yes, well, uh, my honourable friend is right to recognise, and we should all recognise, the hard work and dedication of uh, our excellent staff throughout the NHS. Uh, What we're seeing in the NHS is that A&Es are treating more people than ever before. Um, We're spending half a trillion pounds uh, on the NHS in England during during this Parliament. And the NHS is going to see that increase in its funding of £10 billion in real terms. But there is a 
an issue, as my honourable friend says, about the, uh, uh, sometimes the configuration of A&E and enabling changes to take place to help the flow and to help uh, in dealing with patients as they, potential patients as they come in. That's why my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, announced last week £425 million in new capital investment in the NHS, which includes £100 million to help reduce, uh, manage the demand on A&E services, uh, enabling uh, hospitals to make changes to ensure people are treated in the most appropriate way possible. Thomas Simmon. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Over 200 staff at the Cumbran Pension Centre in my constituency face an uncertain future as they have been told they have to relocate to other areas over the next few years. Does the Prime Minister realise the impact this has on staff and the local economy, and will she meet me and representatives of the workforce to see what can be done to save Cumbran Pension Centre? Prime Minister! I, I recognise the concern that the Honourable Gentleman has raised for staff at, the, uh, at that particular pension uh, uh, office uh, in, uh, in the Cumbran. Uh, uh, I recognise this is an issue. I'm sure it is an issue which the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions will look at very closely. But of course, government is looking to ensure that we both use our resources effectively, but also provide the proper and appropriate service for the recipients of uh, those particular benefits. Victoria Atkins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Last weekend, thousands of people across Lincolnshire came to the Reevesby races in my constituency to enjoy the racing and the delicious local food, including award-winning Lincolnshire sausages. As the government (laughs) prepares to strike new trade deals, international trade deals, will my right honourable friend ensure that the high standards we expect of our food producers and farmers will be met and maintained in these deals, and will this government continue to back British farming? assure my honourable friend that we will certainly do that. I remember when I visited her prior to the general election in 2015, sampling some of the excellent Lincolnshire sausages that uh, come from her constituency. But we do have an opportunity to build a new future for our food and farming industry when we leave the European Union. We will maintain the UK's high standards of food safety and of animal welfare. That will be a priority for us. And any trade deals we enter into will need to be right for consumers, for businesses, for farmers. They will need to ensure our food safety and environmental protection and, of course, the animal welfare standards I've just referred to. So we recognise the need uh, for certainty for businesses. We've already provided guarantees on support for farmers up to 2020, and I can assure her that we will continue to back British farmers. Callum McCaig. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, the UK has one of the worst performing currencies in the world. It has a trade deficit of £133 billion and a national debt approaching £1.7 trillion. Can I ask the Prime Minister, does she really believe that the UK can afford to be an independent country? in the chamber. Honourable members on those benches are very overexcited individuals. I want to hear the Prime Minister's reply. Let's hear the reply. If he, if he wants to talk about figures around uh, in relation to the UK economy, the UK economy is the world's sixth largest economy. This government has reduced the deficit by two thirds. And if he'd care to look at the employment figures we see today, employment at a record high and unemployment which hasn't been lower since 1975. Yeah! Yeah! Tim Norton! Yeah! The 
Mr. Speaker, today is the Ides of March, and yet again Brutus opposite missed badly. So can, so can the Prime Minister take the opportunity to stick the knife into the ridiculous European Court that ruled yesterday that employers can ban their staff from wearing signs of religious or political belief? and reiterate that reasonable freedom of expression should never be snuffed out by insidious political correctness. Prime Minister! We have, as my honourable friend knows, a strong tradition in this country of freedom of expression, and it's the right of all women to choose how they dress, and we don't intend to legislate on this issue. He's raised the broader issue of uh, symbols, but of course this uh, case came up particularly in relation to the wearing of the veil. There will be times when it's right for a veil to be asked to be removed, such as border security or perhaps in courts, and individual institutions can make their own policies. But it is not for government to tell women what they can and cannot wear, and we want to continue that strong tradition of freedom of expression. Is Tasmina Ahmed Sheikh. Our First Minister was elected with the largest vote in Scottish parliamentary history. On a manifesto which stated that the Scottish Parliament. Uh, the question will be heard. Tasmina Ahmed Sheikh. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I'll start again. Our First Minister was elected with the largest vote in Scottish parliamentary history on a manifesto pledge which stated that the Scottish Parliament should have the right to hold an independent referendum if there is a significant and material change in circumstances like Scotland being taken out of the EU against our will. So my question to the Prime Minister is simple. Does she agree that government should stick to their manifesto promises? And if so, she cannot object to the First Minister sticking to hers. Prime Minister. I, I of course recognise that there was a vote that took place for the Scottish Parliament and the First Minister was returned as the First Minister of a minority government. Um, but I would, I, would, um, I, would refer, I would refer the Honourable Lady to two other votes that took place. In September 2014, the Scottish people were given the opportunity to vote as whether or not they wished to remain in the United Kingdom. They chose that Scotland should remain part of the United Kingdom. Uh, that was described by the Right Honourable Gentleman, the Member for Gordon, as a once-in-a-generation vote. And the, other, and the other vote to take note of is that on June the 23rd last year, the people of the United Kingdom voted to leave the European Union, and that is what we are going to do. Geoffrey Clifton Brown. Mr Speaker, with 80% of SMEs reluctant to export, does my right honourable friend agree that the prospect of Brexit gives those firms a golden opportunity to use the great British entrepreneurial spirit to go out into the world, particularly those firms from Scotland, to go out into the world and succeed? Prime Minister! My, my honourable friend is absolutely right about this. Small businesses and entrepreneurs are essential for an economy that is working for everyone. But the opportunity that comes from Brexit, Brexit is to see those firms going out across the world, exporting across the world, and doing those trade deals that will be of benefit to them, of benefit to their, uh, their communities, and of benefit to our economy. We do want to encourage more businesses to go out there and export. That's exactly what my right honourable friend, uh, the Secretary of State for International Trade, is doing. This is an important part of building a stronger, fairer Britain for the future. Hannah Bardell. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
you, Mr. Speaker. HMRC employs over a thousand vital staff in my Livingston constituency. Despite widespread criticism from the NAO and Public Accounts Committee, and the staff at Livingston being the most engaged and productive. This Prime Minister's government is determined to move jobs from Livingston to Edinburgh, where staff do not want to move and rental costs will be higher. To compound this, last week Ethicon announced 400 jobs are set to go yep. at their Livingston site. Yep. Will the PM please therefore change her mind on HMRC jobs in Livingston and meet with me to ensure that public sector jobs vital to Livingston stay in Livingston? The HMRC are indeed relocating from 170 outdated offices to 13 large and modern regional centres. The, the point is, these will be these new centres will be equipped with the digital infrastructure and facilities needed to build a more highly skilled and flexible workforce to enable modernisation of ways of working, to make tax collection more efficient and more effective, and it will also bring significant improvements to HMRC's customer services. Dr. Caroline Johnson. Yeah. North Highcombe voted strongly in favour of Brexit and I was very proud to be here in the House on Monday to vote in support of the EU withdrawal bill. Could my right honourable friend the Prime Minister confirm that she shares my commitment to a Brexit that works in the best interests of everyone in our country? Prime Minister! I think um, I have to I have to say the, uh... Oh, order! I say to the Honourable Gentleman Member for Perth and North Perthshire, he order, order! The Honourable Gentleman was shouting from beyond the bar, which is very disorderly. On top of the fact, on top of the fact that a few moments ago, order! A few moments ago, he was gesticulating in a most eccentric manner. I'm becoming concerned about the Honourable Gentleman, who must now calm himself, the Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. My honourable friend is absolutely right. She had, as she says, a constituency that voted overwhelmingly to leave the European Union. The point is that the, the people of the United Kingdom voted by a majority to leave the European Union. And as we do that, we will be ensuring that the deal that we achieve in our negotiations will be the right deal for the United Kingdom. That's the whole of the United Kingdom, and for people across the UK, uh, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Yvette Cooper. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister's just done a two billion pound budget U-turn in the space of a week. Last year, the government did a four billion pound U-turn in the space of five days. Is that why they want to abolish spring budgets? Because they just keep ripping them up? I welcome the measures that were in this spring budget to improve school places for children in this country, to ensure that we put money... Oh no, Mr Fabricant, you're another very eccentric fellow shouting very loudly, but you mustn't shout down your own Prime Minister. Let's hear the Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, I welcome the measures in the spring budget to ensure that we're putting money money into schools, into skills and into social care, and I'd have thought the Right Honourable Lady would have accepted that money into schools, skills and social care is good for this country. Rebecca Powell. Thank you, 
you, Mr Speaker. Would the Prime Minister join with me in welcoming the news today that Sergeant Blackman's murder conviction has been downgraded to manslaughter, in part thanks to the release of previously unheard evidence? This is fantastic news for his wife, Claire, who lives in my constituency of Taunton Dean and who has campaigned so unstintingly on this, Mr Speaker. And my, right, my honourable friend, the member for South Dorset, who I believe is returning for the Chambers, provided a very worthy advocate for this case and I commend his hard work and would the Prime Minister agree with me that within the correct legal framework those who defend our peace, protect our world from evil, be treated with fairness and understanding and given the adequate resources including for mental health support that they deserve. Extremely grateful to the Honourable Lady. The Prime Minister. Well thank you and of course we respect the Court's decision. The Ministry of Defence will be looking very uh, closely at the judgment but I can assure the House that the Ministry of Defence has cooperated fully at each stage of Sergeant Backman's case and they will continue to provide support to the family as they have done since the charges were first brought. And what I would just say on a general point is that our Royal Marines have a worldwide reputation as one of the world's elite fighting forces. They make an incredible contribution to our country and we should pay tribute to them all for that. Stephen Twigg. Disasters Emergency Committee has launched its East Africa Crisis Appeal. In the context of that crisis, does the Prime Minister share my concern that President Trump is considering major cuts to spending by the United States on aid, will this government take every opportunity to press the Americans to remain fully part of the global humanitarian system? Prime Minister! I can assure uh, the right honourable gentleman we recognise the severity and urgency of the crisis uh, that is taking place in East Africa. More than 20 million people face the risk of dying from starvation because of war and drought. And again, it is this country that is leading uh, the way in delivering life-saving support. We've announced we'll match pound for pound the first £5 million donated by the public to the Disasters Emergency Committee's new East Africa Crisis Appeal, which he referred to in his question. And I can assure him that we take every opportunity to ensure that countries around the world recognise the importance of international aid, the importance of supporting countries when we see a uh, uh, terrible terrible uh, uh, disasters like this famine uh, coming, place, uh, coming to place and it is the UK's record and what we do on this that enables us to say to others that they should do more. Henry Smith. Thank you Mr Speaker. Uh, it's my honour to chair the all-party parliamentary group on blood cancer and today we launch an inquiry into greater awareness of the condition and the patient experience. Can I seek assurances from my right honourable friend that the additional 10 billion going into the NHS in this Parliament will in some way be spent on ensuring that we tackle this third biggest cancer killer. Uh, my honourable friend is right to raise uh, a subject like that, which is uh, a cancer of which many people have not heard much uh, and probably are not aware of that as a particular issue. I can assure him that what the NHS is doing, it has been in recent years, over the last few years we've seen a significant improvement in cancer survival rates, we've seen a significant improvement in, uh, increase in the number of people who are being referred on because of, of uh, potential cases of, of cancer and the number of people being treated for cancer and this is a record on which we want to build. Order.